Father, I stretch my hands to Thee. No other help I know. If Thou withdraw Thyself from me, and You won't, O Lord, all whither would I go? In Jesus' name, Amen. I, I feel very, very vulnerable today. Very humble. Very exposed. Couple reasons. One of those is I'm right in the middle, right dead center in the middle of this subject that we're asked to talk about today. I am so blessed, dear ones, to have my family here. I am so blessed to have a couple sons that would pray with me before this meeting. One of the reasons I feel so vulnerable is because there's six witnesses sitting back here to my weakness, to my inconsistency, and there'll be things I'll say that they know good and well are not necessarily true of my life. So I feel very vulnerable, very idealistic. I'm right in the middle of it. I don't have a success story to share. I don't have a failure story to share. I'm not saying I've never failed. I don't mean that. I, I just mean I, my efforts, my ideals, my energy, my dreams. Who knows? We're still whittling and shaping and forming. We're starting to put the notch into the, into the string. But I have, I have very little wisdom to share on the subject of fatherhood. I do have a passion for it. I stand before you a redeemed wreck. For you young men who sat in this circle yesterday afternoon and listened to our older brother's testimony from childhood through current day, <clears throat> with a few variations, that is exactly my story. But I'm redeemed. And God, because of some of those experiences that were not that good, and because of the things in my past that were shameful, He has given me a burden. Because He's redeemed me out of that, He has given me a burden to share it with others. And I bless Him that He could redeem that wreck and give it a purpose. I can't go back and change it. I can't do it over. I can't do it again. But I can try with every ounce of energy that I have to help it be different for others. And God has given us grace. I praise Him that He's done that before our children were very old, before, we, before they were bent into a crooked arrow, or however you want to say it. I am not going to get... I just can't get very wordy today, or we flat won't get anywhere. I hope this isn't offensive to you young ladies, but because I have a habit of swinging around and facing the whole crowd, and today I want to direct my attention to these young men, I'm going to pull this over here like this. And I don't mean to leave you out at all. In fact, I encourage you to listen in, because today and tomorrow both, there's messages for everybody. 
there's principles of life that we can all learn. But the brothers have asked me to speak on fatherhood, and I believe that that should be directed to these 15 young men here. So this is what I'm going to do. Second Timothy 2, verse 2. Would somebody recite that, please? Amen. The last phrase of that verse says, Faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also? You aren't fathers, any of you here this, this afternoon. And it makes it a little challenging to speak about fatherhood because we're used to teaching fathers who are attempting to be fathers. And yet it's exciting that there's people who want to learn about fatherhood before they have this baby in their hands, like brother, the brother was saying yesterday, Brother Kurt, before that ever happens. They've determined to commit that child to the Lord, and they've charted a course. Faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Genesis 18, verse 19 says, For I know Abraham, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. That's the heart of the God, the heart of God, that there would be faithful men who would be able to teach others also. There's another individual I want to point out in Exodus, Exodus verse 35 or chapter 35, verse 30. I'm excited about this gentleman. His name is Bezalel. And the Bible has some good things to say about Bezalel. And Moses said unto the children of Israel in Exodus 35, verse 30, See, the Lord hath called by name Bezalel. And maybe that's the wrong pronunciation. Forgive me. I don't want to distract you with that. And he hath filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, and in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, and to devise curious works, to work in gold and in silver and in brass, and in the cutting of stones, to set them, and in carving of wood, to make any manner of cunning work. And, and, he hath put in his heart that he may teach. Bezalel knew how to do a lot of different things. He knew how to carve wood. He knew how to set stones. He knew how to hammer out gold and all these things. He had a lot of talents. And fathers have a lot of talents. It doesn't matter what limitations your talents may have. You have a lot of talents. Dads are supposed to know how to work with wood and stone and electricity and plumbing and all those good things. And, of course, we're not going to spend very much time talking about those things today. But those are some of the things that fathers will learn to do. Uh, that they will like to teach more than more than most of the things we talk about today, or as, as much as along with the more important things that we're going to talk with today. I don't want to I don't want to forget. I don't want to minimize just the joy of working with our hands and and all those kinds of things. But what I really wanted out of Bezalel, in addition to all of his abilities, was his heart that he may teach. Psalm one twenty seven verse four. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. So are children of the youth. We'll get to Genesis here in a bit. The title, the scriptural title today, Can We Find Such a One as This Is? Can somebody finish that verse for me? One in whom the Spirit of God is. Amen. The burden of the message, to compel, to propel. 
To propel means to urge or press forward by force. The psalmist talks about arrows in the hand of a mighty man. You get the picture of a man with a bow. And you get the picture of a man with an arrow in his hand, and he puts that and he shapes and forms the arrow. For a while he stores it in his quiver, but someday he takes it out of his quiver and he places it in his bow, sets the notch against the string, and he begins to draw back on that string, and that string has force built into it that's resisting the muscle of that mighty man. And there's energy competing there. And there comes a time when all of a sudden, that mighty man, he points that arrow at a distant target someplace far away, a specific point, a specific goal, a specific vision, and snap. Snap. He releases that arrow. And all of the energy and all of the effort, and all of the muscle, and all of the determination he put into shaping that arrow, and forming it, and notching it, and drawing back on that, on that string is put into action. And away goes that arrow. Not just anywhere, but directly to where he pointed it to go. To a point, and I want to make a point of this, to a point far distant, to a place where the mighty man has never been. I look forward to the day when my sons stand beside me and they look me in the eyes or even look down into my eyes, however it may be, and they're my spiritual equals. When we can converse about the Word of God, when we can share burdens together, when we can do plumbing and woodworking together, more than that, when they pass me up in understanding when they bring a principle out of the Word of God that I've never seen, when they excel beyond where I have ever been, then, young men, then I will feel like I have succeeded as a father. I will consider all my feeble efforts at that point a success. Too much of the time we, we take our, our arrows and we shape them and we stuff them in our quiver and we try to hold them there and well, when they, they, they jump to get out of that quiver, so we kind of regret or uh, unwillingly put them in our bows. And, and I, I'm speaking about how I assume it might be. I, I, like I said, I'm right in the middle of this, and I don't want to be judgmental. But, well, if we have to, we'll do this. And we half-heartedly pull the string back and sort of, well, I'm just not sure. And, and so the arrow just kind of flops out there and is left helpless. Or we want to keep it close. We want to keep it in our control so we, we don't dare shoot it to the top of that high mountain that, that we want it to go to. We don't dare shoot it up there, out and beyond the sunset, over the horizon, where we no longer can reach it and touch it. We want to hold them down. Brothers, whenever my sons can teach me from the Word of God, that's when I'll feel like I've, I've succeeded. You see, the world doesn't come to a stop just because we're gone. Our legacy lives on. Something, something goes on. If I pass away, if I'm gone and dead and, and, and I'm not here, Buying the end of the world and the return of the Lord Jesus, something's going to go on. A testimony. If a people, consider Abraham. Consider the arrow in Abraham's hand. Think of the, the, the sand of the seashore and the stars of the sky that were impacted. That quantity was impacted by one man, Abraham. Don't think yourself any less. 
Abraham was a man just like we are. Just like you and me. I want us to catch a vision today. and We're going to get into some basic things again after a bit. But, but uh, this is a very high calling. Fatherhood is a servanthood calling. It's built soundly and securely on the foundation of servanthood. A father is a servant of God, allowing him, God, to bless others through him. A father needs to focus on people, little people. A father needs to focus on people and their hearts and needs rather than personal performance. About Rather than trying to look good is what I mean when I say that. Rather than just trying to make a good appearance when others are looking on. A father needs to know how to make others feel valuable in his servanthood calling. A father can have no partiality in his heart for any of his arrows. A father, a successful father, must have victory over self, all caps, but by total surrender, victory over self by total surrender to the will and purpose of God. So I'm here, young men, to try to compel, to try to give you a desire, to try to give you an urge, an urgency, those of you who are called to be fathers, to compel you to be prepared to propel those that the Lord gives you out and beyond and ready and prepared for the work of the Lord. Children aren't just a byproduct. They're a purpose. They're a passion of the Lord's. They're a gift of His. Low children are a heritage of the Lord. Blessed is the man who has his quiver full of them. On a lighter note, to break in here, I want you to, as you consider the calling of fatherhood, there are things you might want to know about that. I might forewarn you, uh, men, if, if you're very particular, I might forewarn you that that wrenches and screwdrivers might become a little bit like that vapor that appears for a little while and then soon vanishes away. It, it, it does happen. They just disappear when you're a father. You might get home from work and your wife might meet you at the door. This happened in our home, by the way. And she'll quietly say, listen, those melons got picked before they were ripe in their children's excitement. I just wanted you to be forewarned so that, you know, you could... Get control of yourself. Because I was longing for those melons to get ripe. Same thing happened with tomatoes one time. I like to have tomatoes by the 4th of July. Something my dad kind of inbred in me, I guess. And that was our competition. We all like tomatoes. And we like to have them by the 4th of July for some reason. And uh, I guess the longer the season, the longer you get tomatoes. But I was watching a couple of tomatoes specifically in that first cage in our garden. And one day I come and I found him laying on the ground beside the garden. I'm ashamed to admit I did not respond as I should have in that case at all. A little heart was hurt that day. But anyway, those things will happen. Um, You might even correct them and the wrenches still disappear. (laughs) And you'll correct them again and the wrenches still disappear. The boys and I just had a talk about that the other day, about when we lived in Ohio and there was a spot that we made off limits because I couldn't seem to get them put back. And they still disappeared. The, 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 
the shovels and the rakes just melted into the woods. These kinds of things happen when you're a dad. You're going to have to be prepared for it. It seems funny, but, you know, little girls, it's worse yet with girls. <laughs> they, they cry at the slightest provocation. You have no idea what you did. You might have just been kindly admonishing them, and next thing you know, they're just a meltdown. I don't know that little girls are any different than little boys in this, but it seems like there's a propensity for untruth, and you never know quite sure whether that little girl is or child. I don't mean to pick on girls necessarily. A daddy usually knows, but there's just a sense, and there's some of that you have to discern, the untruth. <coughs> little girls, that, some of them anyway, and maybe this is just ours, but, but they get all giddy and excited, and they jump up and down and giggle and squeal. And, and you know, it's, it's, and you're trying to teach them to calm their spirit and guard their hearts. And, um, but these kinds of things will happen, and uh, they sneak and they snitch, little girls do. And... Some little girls will fall off the fence and knock their teeth out. One of their... However, uh, these kinds of things will happen if you're a daddy, if you're a father. But I want to tell you something. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like those little hugs. There's nothing like the scribbly little cards. I just received this one yesterday. I forget which service it was after. Maybe late in the afternoon. You can't read it, but it says, Jesus loves me and you. From Dina, I love you. Brother David was talking about older children doing that. It can start pretty young, and what a blessing. What a blessing. The I love you's daddy's scribbled on a piece of paper, the adoring smiles, the eager cries of, let's do something together, daddy. Just a loving to be together. There's nothing like it. So, Anyway, I just thought I'd let you in on a little bit of the, the fun side of being a daddy first. I want to tell you something. There's nothing, there's no call greater than fatherhood. If you are called to be a father. If you are called, now understand, if you are called to be a father, that becomes the greatest call in your life at that moment. If I were to draw a balance on here, and I'm not going to take the time to do it, and we set fatherhood on one end of this, of this teeter-totter, we set him down there on that low, on the low end, and we begin to pile on other callings. Whether your call is to be a missionary, whether it be a, a, a call to be a minister, a counselor, um, a humanitarian aid, whatever the call might be, and you try to set it up here, that calling of Father sets squarely on the ground, and it never lifts off. The calling of Father, if you're called to be a father, is first. Fathers, to be... You may think that the call to missionary is pretty high, but let me, let, let me let you in on something. There is no mission field that is designed so perfectly as the home. It's got a perfect design. These little people who are your mission field, they already speak your language. No translation needed, basically. They're already accustomed to the same culture in which you live. They're already used to eating the same kind of food that you eat. They even go to the same church that you go to. They can't get away from you, and I can guarantee you they won't want to kill you. There's no mission field so perfectly designed as the home. Now, that being said, I want to qualify. That doesn't mean you can't be a missionary or a counselor or a minister or do humanitarian aid or whatever you're called to do. But never, never, never 
plan on being a father and and uh, regarding that calling as lighter than any of those others. Don't do it. Okay, Joseph. About several of you said that Joseph was, was uh, your Bible character of choice the other night. Can we find such a one as this? That's speaking of Joseph. Joseph In Genesis chapter 41, verse 38, Joseph had just gotten done um, telling about the dream to, to Pharaoh. Um, and Pharaoh was so impressed with Joseph's spirit and Joseph's wisdom and his demeanor that he said, Can we find such a one as this is? One in whom the Spirit of God is. And that's what we're looking today in Fathers. Further on then in Genesis chapter 45, verse 8, there's an interesting comment. comment. And this I'll just share with you just to be open in heart. This was the verse that the Lord gave me to confirm that I should come to Bible school as a teacher. That week of, of praying and, and, and seeking on this, um, maybe it doesn't mean too much to you, but I just thought I would share that. When I was thinking about what, what I would use, I was, I was allowed to run across this verse, Genesis 45, verse 8, when he says, So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God, and he hath made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Not a verse I'd ever really noticed or cared about before until that week when God said, Look, here's, here's a character. He gave me an outline, and he gave me a, a, a father figure to work from. Joseph told his brothers, he said, and he hath made me, God hath made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house. So we're going to use Joseph today for a little bit of an illustration of fatherhood. We can see by Joseph's words that the term father doesn't just mean DNA or, or male parent. We're mostly concerned about male parenthood today, but some of you may never be called to be a male parent. But you can still be a father. You can still be a father. The attributes of a father are our main concern. So we have five points today out of Joseph. These will be probably fairly brief. Five points of preparation for fatherhood out of the life of Joseph. And then we have five points of position of a father. And I'm going to try to try to stay brief. I would rather sit down early today than cram this so fast that, that you miss the point or, or I get a little too brisk or rough with some of this. So just bear with me here. Preparation for fatherhood. Probably won't turn to a lot of scriptures. Everybody knows the story of Joseph probably almost by heart. You could recite it without hardly missing a detail of his life. It's a beautiful story. Joseph is a young man, and I just marvel at Joseph. And uh, I hold him up before you as an, uh, an example, young man. I know you already do as well. Of, of faith and purity and godliness. So here we go. In the life of Joseph, can we find such a man as this is? A man who will be willing to propel those following after. Joseph, first of all, I'm going to say he revealed his responsibility in his preparation for this position of father. Joseph did have some sons as well later on, so he was, a, he was a genuine father, not just a father to Pharaoh. He revealed his responsibility. And remember, when I go through these, that verse in 2 Timothy 2, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Remember that. This is, 
This is an education on how to be a father, possibly. It'll be incomplete. But I want to tell you, a teacher, the best kind of a teacher is the one who is a master of a subject. One who, who knows it inside and out. One who lives, in this case, one who actually lives the reality of his subject is the best kind of teacher. That's what we're looking for today. So this isn't just an academic study. This is looking into our own hearts and realizing that some of these things are best if they're in place prior to the time that baby is in our hand. He revealed his responsibility. Remember how that Joseph was ruler over Potiphar's house? He left all that he had in Joseph's hands, Potiphar did, and he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. He was left in charge of a household, and Potiphar left him so much in charge that Potiphar didn't even know what all he had. He didn't know anything except the food that was set before him on the table. I don't know what all your responsibilities are, but when you become a father, you take on a lot of responsibility. You take on a wife. You take on children. You take on a place to live. That means a home, a house, if you please. Whatever the accommodations are, it'll be there. There's responsibilities. There's bills to pay. There's things to take care of. If you are the kind of individual you should be, your children and your wife, to some extent, will not need to know what all they have, what ought is, is around them, save the fact that they have food to eat, they have the scripture being taught, they have love being shared, they have an example being set. As a responsible individual, you can take that worry and care on yourself and you can fill that need to where your family is blessed by not having to, to somehow fill in the gaps, fill in the blanks where you've left empty. We need to practice that today, reveal our responsibility and there will be some areas of that show up here, actually, very shortly. I won't go into a lot of details, but be responsible to the things that you've been given. If, you're, if you live in a home, most of you probably still live at home, and you have chores and duties, be responsible. See to it that they're done. Go beyond that. Practice even taking initiative. Practice going beyond what your standard set of chores are. Do the extra. If you're just supposed to clear the table because everybody does that, step up and wash the dishes. Volunteer to haul in the wood so Dad doesn't have to. Someday you'll have to. It'll be your responsibility. Reveal your responsibility. You fill in the blanks. Like I said, we're going to have to just take it quickly here. So learn to be responsible. Learn to fill the tasks that are before you and do it cheerfully and joyfully because someday you won't have any options as a father. If you want to be a godly kingdom father... Second of all, Joseph protected his purity. He protected his purity. This is an area that I am very, very passionate about. Fathers, to be, you, one of the first things you have to have if you want to be father, a father is a wife. As a kingdom father, in the kingdom of God, you can't be a father, a male parent. In God's sight, you're not allowed. You, you 15 young men here, we're not talking about anybody else, but you 15 here are not allowed to be a male parent without a wife. You know that. I don't have to say any more about that. I do want to say a couple more things about protecting your purity, though. We had a good talk about that, so we're not going to belabor it particularly, but I want to say this. I want you to consider the fact that God's laws for men and women 
God's laws about purity, God's laws about holiness, God's laws about righteousness, and the right look at a woman, and the right way of handling these ladies does not change because we enter this little window of time called courtship. That woman is no more your wife during that time than she's your dad's wife or your best friend's wife. No more. She is still a a lady. She's a sister. She's God's beautiful creation. She is to be treated with respect. She is to be treated with purity and honor. I would hold before you that if you don't like your dad holding the hands of your neighbor's wife, I don't think God probably likes you holding a hand. This is a high standard, boys. I don't think God likes you holding the hand of a woman that's not your wife in a way that other than maybe just a handshake of hello. And maybe you ought to even consider that carefully during your courtship time because your heart can do tricky things. God doesn't change the rules during courtship. I would encourage you to set the standard high. I could go through a lot of deep. This isn't about courtship. I could go through a, a standard and a vision and details, but that's not what it is. But you understand what I'm saying. God's laws don't change. God, a man wasn't created. Uh, uh, Brother Paul Hirschberger preaches in his uh, vision for godly youth. Um, man was not created for courtship. Men were created for marriage. And so you must be very, very careful during that time when your heart is being affected during courtship. God's laws don't change. Protect your purity. It is very important. Set your, set your standard of purity by God's standard, by God's holy standard, and you'll never regret it. You can go forward. There's a purpose for this. You can go forward with a clear conscience. You can be an example of the believer, and you can have a clear testimony of Jesus Christ. Those are important. This is a time you can use for ministry, even during courtship. There's a testimony There's so many people missing out on the joy and the beauty and the blessing of a pure courtship. I missed it. I've been redeemed. And so I can hold that standard before you. I used to think I'd never be able to do it because I didn't myself. That's not true because I've been redeemed. I call you to higher ground. He protected his purity. Protect your purity. He proved his patience. Joseph spent time in prison. Yes, he did. You all know the story? Because he protected his purity and was misunderstood and a lie was believed, Joseph wound up in prison. And and Joseph was patient through a lot of things in his life. It's obvious. We don't have a lot of words recorded, but, but Joseph was patient with his brothers, I'm sure. He was probably patient during the trip with the Ishmaelites down to Egypt. And, and I'm sure he was patient in many ways. He had practice in this. And it became evident because he had these he interpreted these dreams for this butler and, and baker. And speaking of ingrats, as we heard the other night, these two ingra- ungrateful people forgot all about him. The one did. The one obviously lost his life. But for two more years, Joseph sat there in that prison and he just waited. Now think about it. Pharaoh could have called him out and he could have come out of there storming and fuming and said, not on your life, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to tell you about your dream. I'm not going to interpret your dream for you. After all, I mean, I sat in that stinking hole for two years and nothing doing. He didn't do that. He kindly and patiently interpreted the dream for Pharaoh. You will need much patience in marriage. 
there is there will be misunderstandings. When you have a wife, that is a holy relationship. There must be clarity and clearness and openness and sharing and, and there will be misunderstandings during some of those times. And that's okay. It's a good exercise in the kingdom of heaven to learn how to work through things like that. But you'll need patience. And then when you have little children, I already shared with you a whole list of things on the light side, perhaps, but they're serious as well because there's training needed through these things. You will need patience when the green melon gets picked. And God bless your wife if she warns you before so that you don't have the spontaneous flare-up in your heart that says, why did you do that? That's what my heart wanted to do. I bless her for warning me that day because I was able to respond with patience that one time. There will be loads of things that will try your patience. Things go wrong around the house. Can't get left for church in time. Your Sunday shoes get left at home when you go on a trip. And you have to wear your old boots to church. And you're going to be preaching and everybody's going to be looking at your boots. There's just lots of things like that. I could go on and on. Things that have maybe tried my patience. And it'll be different for everybody. Learn from Joseph. He spent two years in prison, completely misunderstood, mistreated, and forgotten about, as well as abused by his brothers. And ex- You can just go through his whole life, and he's, he's just an exercise and a lesson in patience. You will need that kind of patience. If you want to be a kingdom father, if you want to have a kingdom father heart, learn patience now. Patience with your younger siblings. Patience with your dad when he doesn't understand. Maybe he understands better than we think he does. Patience to work it through, to communicate, to hear and listen. Practice patience. Patience with your mothers. When they seem to just get a little, maybe just a little overcautious with you, and when you go out the door and you say, I'm 23 years old, do you still have to tell me about that? I know how to drive the car. (laughs) You know, just practice patience. You will need it. I'm warning you. Learn from Joseph. He proved his patience. Learn and exercise it. He exercised in economy. Is another thing that Joseph did. You remember, and this actually happened after Joseph was called to be a father to Pharaoh, but yet he obviously was, was talented in exercising economy because Pharaoh, Pharaoh was willing to take him and say, I will put you over all this. Remember how the, the dream actually revealed that there was going to be seven years of, of fatness, good years, and seven years of famine? Seven years of fatness and seven years of famine. And, and Pharaoh needed somebody to watch over all that. There was a major economy collapse about to happen. Um, I should say an economy change. It would have been a collapse under any less wise leadership, I'm sure. And so he chose Joseph. Joseph obviously was exercised in economy. He had a... He, and we have different gifts. I don't want to... But he obviously knew how to do his numbers. He obviously knew how... I knew a little bit about... Um, Budgeting. He knew a little bit about categorizing funds so that there was enough for this portion and enough for that portion and enough for this area over here. He knew how to do that. He didn't know how to just do it in a a little pitiful income like we might have. He had the whole country of Egypt and all that corn he had to know how to take care of. And he exercised in that to the point that Pharaoh said, I think I can trust you with this this job. I want to go back over what Brother David shared with us last night. He quickly filled in the blank here under my uh, exercise in economy. To learn how to honestly earn, you got this last night, I know, but I was impressed, wisely spend, 
discreetly save, and joyfully and generously share. That was well put. That was well put. Those four points right there kind of cap the whole thing. Again, honestly earn, wisely spend, discreetly save, and joyfully and generously share. I looked at the verb form of husband just a little bit when I looked up the word. I was looking at fatherhood and I looked at husband for a little bit for some reason because I thought maybe it meant this. The verb form of husband, if you look up what it means to husband something in the verb form, it means to economize. And then it goes on to say to pinch and scrimp or cut cost. We don't want to do that selfishly at all, but the word husband actually in the verb form means to economize. Remember, to be a father, you're first going to be a husband. And one of the things you need to learn how to do is economize. That means budgeting. That means thinking about how we spend our excesses, our, our discretionary income, as Brother Gary Miller puts it. How to, how, to, how, to, how to handle that. You're going to need money down the road. It's pretty easy to blow a lot of money at restaurants. I did. Weekly. Never thought about it. The money was there in hand. Out it went. Another $10, $12 down the drain for one plate. Maybe more, sometimes less. I didn't budget. The money was there. I spent it. I did save for a few things. But I would encourage you, something my dad did for me. He said, you children will not be allowed to buy a car until you can pay cash for that car. No loans on your car. First of all, he said, I want you to have $10,000 in savings accounts and then you must pay cash for your car. That's what he said. And not that he wanted to suspend 10 or 15 or 5. He, didn't, he just said, I want you to have at least 10000 saved before you can buy a car, and I want you to pay cash for your car. Wise, wise counsel. Very wise. In my case, I wouldn't have had to have a car. He, he provided a car, so were I to, were I to not have, uh, had I not been so impatient... I could have driven his little Ford Tempo for two more years, I think, or three even, probably. But anyway, but wise counsel, and he stuck to it. And I would encourage you to set those kinds of things in your life. Make a budget and stick to it. You're going to need it because it's going to get a lot more complicated when, when, uh, when there's a wife and grocery bills and rent payments, maybe, or other types of payments. The electric bill comes in, and depending on how you heat, you might have a fuel bill, and you all of a sudden... The money's just not as free. Your income didn't multiply necessarily just because you have a wife. That doesn't, that's not promised that it's going to double. So anyway, exercise in economy. Learn to handle your money wisely. Learn to set a budget. Budget for travel. Budget for your, for your uh, eating out and spending like that. Budget for your clothes if you're buying your own clothes. And stick to it. And set the budget um, just for a challenge. Set it... Uh, conservatively. Don't give yourself extra. When you have extra, it's easy to say, well, I'll just plump it in that column and boy, it'll be a little easier that way. Or for me, when I've budgeted in the past, it was easy to have the excesses flow over into just an extra fund. And then if this one ran in the red, it didn't matter because the balance at the bottom, was, the total was still in the black. So, But set a budget and stick with it and get some exercise that way before marriage hits you. And all of a sudden you're overwhelmed. Your wife will bless you. And, if, and I, I want to be careful with this because in some cases there's a woman that's more, uh, you women should be exercising in the economy as well. 
in some cases, there's a gift there, but I would encourage you to be definitely be very, very involved and, uh, and, be the, and be the one that's in charge of that. And learn how to do that today. Joseph was at peace with his position. His comments to his brothers in Genesis 45.7, which was right there prior to 45.8 where we were, said, And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. He was at peace with his position. His brothers were nervous, and they were scared, and we could retell that whole story. But, but he said, no, it's okay. It wasn't you. It was, it was God. It, I'm, I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm right where God wanted me to be. I don't know what all positions you struggle with being at peace with, if any. Maybe you struggle with being at peace with being single. I don't know. I just want to hold a... I just want to... Uh, brother and I were talking the other day, and I can't even remember who it was now. But I wonder if it would be possible to keep your eye single on Jesus Christ and be working out and living His purposes as you walk through the pathway of life purposefully, completely at peace with your position before Him, doing the duties and responsibilities that you have, and then, possibly, out of the peripheral, notice the word, peripheral vision of your eye, you see a young lady who's doing the very same thing. Her eye is single. Her body is full of light. She is doing the thing that she's been called to do, and she's at peace with her position. And out of your peripheral visions, your spirits meet, and you think, hey, you know, we're both working to the same end. Maybe, maybe we could join up and work together as a team. Rather than this, rather than staring intently over toward the young ladies and out of your peripheral vision, seeing Jesus Christ and thinking, wow, if I could just find the right girl, man, we'd make quite a team. Wow, Lord, if I could just get there, then I'd be ready to move on with life. Boy, if you could just give me a good wife, then, I could, then I'd be ready to go to the mission field. Well, if you just give me a good wife, then I could learn how to be responsible. Now, I just wonder how it would be if, if, if singleness of I, and then peripherally, the Lord brings somebody doing the same thing, walking parallel to you, and He just brings us together. At peace with our position. Are you at peace with your position today? Practice it. Things won't always go right in marriage. And... There may be times when you're discontent, tempted, tempted to be discontent with your home, with the state you live in, with, I hate to say it, you might be tempted to be content with the wife God gave you, discontent. It's a real possibility, especially if you don't have the Spirit of God in you, which I, I, I believe you all do. But I just want to warn you, it's possible the tempter's going to throw that at you. I want to, boy, if I, and she's just a better cook. Or, wow, our personalities, I, I thought they really got along good, but man, they just don't. I, man, what, what, what was you thinking, God? Or, this one, this one, young man. My mother never fixed it like this. You need to learn to be at peace with what you're given, peace with your position, because that'll hurt your wife, let me tell you. At peace with your position. Joseph learned it. Learn to be content. Again, we must be masters of a subject 
be living the very subject we care to teach for it to be effective. So learn, learn to be a faithful teacher, a faithful student, and then the Lord will provide that you can be a faithful teacher. I want to go through five positions of a father. We're going to leave Joseph behind, but, but uh, stick him in your memory. And remember that he was a father to Joseph or to Pharaoh, and and what all that the Lord worked in his life to prepare him for fatherhood. We're going to find, as we look a little bit in the scriptures, that God has calling us as kingdom fathers into kingdom fatherhood, possibly to be a provider, to be a visionary, to be a guard, to be a friend, and to be a teacher. Again, I probably won't be able to expand. I told one of the brothers, this, this would make a whole week of, of meetings of itself, this subject of fatherhood. And I would, just, I would be thrilled to do that. I would just love it. But we're just, just cramming this in. And I, I hope it just at least washes your hearts a little bit today and, and gives you a vision and prepares you just a little bit for the position of kingdom fatherhood. Provider. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. And I'm going to add a word. But if any father, if any father provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. That's a pretty strong, strong statement. If any man provide not for his own, if any father provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. You have a testimony to keep to provide for your own. You have a testimony of Jesus Christ to protect. Because he says if you don't do it, you've denied the faith. Simple, basic. It goes back to neighborhood. It goes back to servanthood. Um, where, where where compassion is there. Lost my thought on that. Basically, it's as neighborhood, it's your home as a neighbor. We covered neighborhood. We covered that uh, yesterday a little bit. Um, to put others' needs ahead of your own and to fill them. Um, to understand that they need ministered hope, love, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are to be the provider of all that, but you're also to be the provider of the natural things that they need. And there will be a lot of them. Timothy says, if you don't, you'll be worse than an infidel. I'll just say this as we leave that. I'm just going to keep that one very, very brief. This may be among the easier responsibilities that fall on your shoulders, young fathers, to be. Just to, just to kind of um, sort of spark things up here a little bit, I need a, I need a, I need a little renewal of my own spirit. Um, how many of you are currently courting? So we have at least three fathers to be because Clark is already married, and we have two courting. So potentially, we already have the potential of some fathers here, and, and I'm not judging the rest of you if you're not. I just, I just wanted to see who, how, much, how many people are actively doing this already, just to sort of yeah, find out what's going on in your hearts. God may be preparing the rest of you as well. I trust He is for some of you. It's His heart that men would marry. It's His heart that, that seed would be perpetuated. You can't do that unless you're married. Fathers-to-be... You are called to be a visionary. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, 
verse 17, which is a quote out of the book of Joel. You'll remember that. He says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out My Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Here's the problem, boys. If you pass up the opportunity to have a vision, someday you'll just be dreaming about how you wish it could have been. You'll be dreaming about how it would have been if you'd have done different. You'll be dreaming about how you would change things if you could just do it again. And that's taking that probably completely out of context, and that's fine, I believe, for our purpose today. You are called to be a visionary. The Bible says that young men who are founded in the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will see visions. And I'm, I don't mean dream, I don't mean laying on your bed and, and having a... a I'm, now I'm talking about... Yes, I'm, I'm talking about seeing a picture of where you want to go and what you want to see. I'm not talking about a dream now, though. I'm not talking about the kind of a vision. I'm talking about something you search out and you decide where you want to go. Young men shall see visions. And I say, bro, brothers, young men, get a vision. Get a vision. Before you ever even have a, a young lady by your side for the first time, Get a vision. It can be altered as you go through life, but set it high. Set your vision high. Set your standard up there, way up there. Get a vision. Make it a high vision. Make it a holy vision. You can't out-holy God. You can't do it. You can't set your vision so high that you out-holy You can't outwork Him. You can't outrun Him. You can't outdo Him. Sometimes... I don't want to do any kind of sacrilege to God, but sometimes I think He wouldn't care if a few more would at least try. There is a drought for holiness, young men, in this world. This room is packed with potential to make that change in a very large segment as the generations pass. Set your vision high. Set it holy. And hang on to it. You can't out-holy God. Never, never, never use current norms as a basis for setting your standards. Never. There is none good but God. Use God. Use God's Word. Use the life of Jesus Christ. Use His heart and His desire as your standard and hold it high. You'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. Never use current norms as a basis for setting your standards. I'll tell you that's so substandard. When you look over here and say, well, at least I'm doing it better than Him. Or, wow, things are getting so bad that if I'm at least nominal, it's, you know, it's better. No. Set it high. Go for 100%. This business of losing 50% of our children has got to stop. Amen. Isaiah 62.10 again. Used it the other day. Go through, go through the gates, prepare you the way of the people. Cast up, cast up a highway. Gather up the stones. Lift up a standard for the people. That's you. Lift up a standard. Hold it high. Get a vision of children who you fill in the blank. Get a vision for children and decide what you want them to be. You want children that pray? Do you want children that know the Bible? Do you want children that are courageous in communicating with other people who don't know the Lord? Do you want children who could make a good husband and father? Of course you do. Do you want children who could Live on foreign soil? Do you want children who can learn foreign languages? Do you, I mean, set your standard. Hold it high. Get a vision. Decide what you want your children to... Decide where you're aiming your arrow right now today. 
in the next few days, before next few weeks, before you get a woman beside your beside you, get a vision. Girls, you can be doing the same thing. Get a vision and hold it high. You fill in the blank. What do you want your children to be? Where do you want to propel those arrows that the Lord may give you? Where do you want them to go? It's not wrong to think about that. In fact, it's not right not to. We went to a mountain in uh, Idaho as a as a group last summer, and uh, there's a mountain off to the side of the campground there. In the Grand Jean, uh, Grand Jean Mountain Campground there, there's a mountain off to the side. It wasn't Grand Jean. But Andrew Peters and, and another brother there and our boys all went up up, uh, up this mountain together. Before we went, there was this pinnacle of rock sticking out, out there jutting out over the valley, and, and that's where we wanted to go. And we knew it. And we had no idea what lay between us and that rock, but that rock was where we wanted to go because we were going to have a view. And so that's what we did. We, we, we first checked out where we wanted to go. We set our goal. We held our vision. And then our, then our eyes fell back to the path, and, and we seen what was between us and that rock. We had to come back and check our path, and we had to decide what we needed to do and where we needed to alter to get to that rock. And that's how it is when you set a vision for your children. You may have to draw it back in close again. You may have to alter your path a little bit. You may have to choose a little different course in order to get to that high vision, to get to that rock. Bible in Proverbs 4.26 says, Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy way be established. Every path ends at the destination to which it leads. Very juvenile, very simple, but I've said that over and over again. Every path will ultimately end at the destination to which it leads. Sounds foolish, but I want you to think about it. Look at your path and, and be careful. You are called to be a visionary. You're called to be a guard. First um, John 2.13.14, don't have time to turn there, says, I write unto you, young men, because you are strong. There's more words there I wanted to refer to, but we'll just go to that one. If you want to look it up, 13 and 14, it talks about fathers there as well. But I write unto you because you're strong and you're called to be guards of your homes. You're called to guard the homes and the hearts. A guard is a protector. It's not a passive position. A guard identifies danger and actively works against it. You will need to protect and you will need to know how to protect your family's appetites, their consciences, and their hearts. You need to protect them from distractions. You need to protect them from boredom. These are things that fathers, I'm sorry again, I blew it. You need to protect. There's so many distractions available here today around us. You need to protect them from those distractions. There's lots of things you can get into. You need to protect your, your, your ladies in your home, your, your wives and your daughters. I've had sisters tell me, or, or, or couples tell me, that the women are not a very good judge of what distracts a man. You need to help her with that. You need to help your daughters with that. Step in, get involved. They don't always know what it is. You help them. And be truthful and set the standard high in that area as well. Um, you need to be a guard of evil influence. There's so much more available than there was through most of the time. There's so much more available to uh, evil influence available to us. And I say on guard, fathers, to be on guard and tenaciously. I want to get through this one. I was born just before what I call the technology tsunami. I was born before that, and I didn't really keep up with it very much, but I'm starting to again. And I'll say this, in the the onset, there are benefits to the electronic ease in which we live. There are some benefits. But I want to tell you this. It's a precious little bit of benefit compared to the devastating, destructive damage it's doing to so many people. I'm not saying don't use it. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying be careful and set your standard high. There's no no guard that's too strong for this one. We had a table saw in the shop, and 99.9999 plus of the work it did was was cut boards. But one teeny tiny little portion of that was scars on people's hands. I have some of them myself. 
Not that way with electronic technology. It's not that way at all. For every one benefit there is, I, I just, I'll, just, I'll just declare this. I think there's at least 100 casualties for every benefit. Maybe more than that. Maybe it's multiplied. For every benefit that there is, there's multiplied casualties and devastation and destruction. I hear young men tell me, and I ask them, how do you use it? And what do you see? And there's, I've had a conversation with one quite a bit lately. Well, he said, it's, it's, it's not too bad. The stuff that I've, it's, it's not. Gosh! If it's not too bad, it's not too good either. It's a distraction. And you can't do too much to protect your homes and those little hearts from those distractions. I haven't used it very long, but I can tell you I've learned an awful lot that I shouldn't know. There's something else I want you to know. And, and by the grace of God, I will not anymore. Okay? Romans 16:19 says, Yep, I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. Wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. If you have a curious mind and there's things you want to know, there's places you can go on that thing, and you can get a question answer for any kind of question you've got. You can satisfy any curiosity, and there's things you don't need to know. Because the men's minds are evil continually. The imaginations are there. And you don't need to know that. The Bible says, Apostle Paul says, I want you to be wise to that which is good and simple concerning evil. Okay, practice guarding in your own life in order to be prepared to propel other arrows. You have to know how to guard in order to propel to, to be a good guard. You need to be a friend. A friend loveth at all times. Love smiles, takes time, is understanding, shares compassion and encouragement. A kingdom father expends effort to see little people excel and become big people. He's their friend. I spent a lot of time this, this year between January 1 and right now playing ping pong with my boys. A lot of time. They didn't know how to play ping pong before that, but I just love to see them excel. Brother said this morning, that, and I was so blessed by your devotions, Nathan, that he took 40 games of chess before his younger brother won. I bless you for your patience with him. The same thing, and, and there's going to be a good father, I'll tell you, young, uh, young man. Right there, I could tell by his testimony as he spoke. I don't know how many games. I suppose it was 150 games I played my boys before they finally beat me, but they can do it once in a while now. And I, I rejoice. I'm glad. I want to see them get big. I want to see them excel. You need to be their friend. You're going to have to do things to keep their hearts. For your high standard and your high vision and the things that you withhold... For their good because of your vision or because of your guardianship, you need to take something out of your own heart and replace that with it. Because there's going to be things you withhold from them, possibly because of your vision, that's going to hurt. And you as a father need to be ready to take your own heart and replace with time, with things to do, with whatever it needs to be. It takes discernment. And by the way, I want you to practice this right now because I love, I love to see young men take an interest in younger people and you can start today being a father told you about that the other day, and I rejoice to see you interacting with all these, what, what we're calling junior classmen. Okay, one more thing. You're called to be a teacher. You can go to Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9, very familiar verses. You're supposed to, we're called to teach, and we're supposed to talk about the things that are good when we stand up, when we sit down, when we go through the door, when we walk, when we, when we get out of bed, when we go to bed. We're supposed to talk, we're supposed to teach. That's a father's place as a teacher. The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who can teach others also. The beauty of Bezalel was that God had given him a heart to teach. It may not be a gift to you. Maybe it doesn't come natural. For some of you, it obviously does. But I say, exercise in it anyway. Practice teaching. Pick a little lesson out of the Scripture and, and take a little child aside, a little girl or a little boy, and, and just teach it to them. Search out opportunities. Even call a gathering together of, of, young, of people and learn how to teach them because you're going to need to know how. It isn't going to necessarily come natural just because all of a sudden you have five of them sitting around your table. I would encourage you when that time comes, though, that you find a time to do that. For us, it's, 
at the breakfast table and then again before bedtime. But breakfast table is such a sweet time to read the Word of God and to the children and, and take questions and explain and explore the Word together. But I know that that doesn't work for all of us in our schedules. That's fine. But we are called to be teachers. Take a chunk out of your heart and give it to your children to, to, to heal their pain. Keep their hearts that way. You've got to keep their hearts. Learn how to be their friend. Learn how to be their teacher. I'm sorry I had to, again, I, I kind of blew those last few for you, but the question I have in my heart for you young men is the same question that Pharaoh asked, Jonathan, or asked, asked the people of Egypt when he was speaking of Joseph. Can we find such a one as this is? Such a one as Joseph, one in whom the Spirit of God is, one who is willing to be a provider, a visionary, a guard, a friend, and a teacher, one who's willing to be responsible, one who's willing to be pure and patient, one who's willing to learn how to use money properly, and one who is at peace with his position. Can we find such a one as this, a one in whom the Spirit of God is? I want an answer from the back row there. Can we do that, older men? Amen. That's confidence in you, young men. I want to, today, close with prayer. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you just now in the presence of these young men, Lord. I thank you for each one of them. I thank you for the Spirit's work in the hearts of each of these young men. I thank you for the interest that they have in being your servants and answering that call, for being your servants and answering the call to being a good neighbor and, and caring about the, those that are around. And Father, I know that you will be calling these young men to fatherhood, some of them at least. Lord, would you be a faithful father? Your promises are sure. Your, your promises are steadfast, and you promise that you will be a father to them. Lord, would you, would you grant them grace? Give them courage to go home and start at this very moment practicing and preparing to be a father. Help them, Lord, to to catch a vision of holiness and purity. Help them to catch a vision of being willing to do that in public and to be known as being one who sets the standard high. Help them not to be ashamed of places they won't go. Help them not to be ashamed to be the one who doesn't do that with the computer. Help them not to be ashamed to be the one who doesn't listen to that types of audio. Lord, give them courage to do that. Give them courage to be prepared to be an example. Give them courage to be a guard, Lord, one to stand firm, one who will guard his, the, the door of his home and the hearts of his family. Father, this is such a huge work. It's such a burden. Lord, it's such a, it's such a crying need in the world we live in. Oh, God, you know that. Lord, would you just anoint each of these young men with that, especially with that vision, Father, the high vision, the holy vision, the heavenly vision. Prepare their hearts, Father, for fatherhood. Father, I just bless you for being with us this afternoon and being faithful allowing us this little time and we just turn it back to you and would you continue to work in their hearts on this this subject of fatherhood and preparing for that and these men Lord I just love them each so much already Father I just want them to succeed I want their children to be like arrows in the hands of a mighty man I want to see these young men send these arrows high towards the target that's set way out of their reach so that the generations may increase and do like Isaiah says, that the nations would come in and roll in like a flood of waters. The nations and their children and their posterity and their generation after them and the one after that. Father, your promises are sure and steadfast. 
Lord, would you grant us that blessing on these young men? In Jesus' name, amen.